You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. I don't think you can truly change for the better in a lasting, meaningful way unless it is driven by self-acceptance. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here with everyone. Um, If you're new to the show, we also air on 1210 Talk Radio on Sunday nights at 7 o'clock. If you're a fan of radio... And if you'd like to learn more about the show and see who's in our lineup, you can always go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And you can see all things related to the show, including the podcast and also subscribe to our newsletter. Um, I am now very excited and honored to welcome to the show Prachi Modi. Prachi is the co-founder and CEO of Moroccan Three Ventures. Prachi, welcome to the show. Hi, Sue. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. It's great to have you. How is your summer going so far? Honestly, really, really nice. This is my first summer back in New York after being nomadic for a couple of years. So I, it feels it feels magical to be back in the city. Oh, that's so nice. So we're probably experiencing the same gorgeous day if you're in New York and I'm here in Philadelphia. Yes, definitely. So I want to um, I want to start the the interview with you speaking a little bit about your background and um, what the community and culture was like uh, in Mumbai, which is where you were born. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that question. Basically, my name is Prachimovi. I am born and raised in Mumbai, India. Come from very, very humble, humble roots. Uh, let's th- let's probably say that the stud- the size of my studio that I'm currently living in, was the size of my home in India, where I used to live with five five people. In total. Wow! Wow! <laughs> so definitely come from very, very humble roots. Uh, I moved to America when I was about 11 years old, and I started seventh grade in New York City, and I started in a public school, um, public middle school just in Queens, and then my (laughs) high school was in Manhattan, and later on I moved to a university in upstate New York. So I've sort of spent most of my time after moving from India and mostly in New York City, but 
I, I always I always think that Mumbai and New York are very similar in the way that they operate. It's it's the hustle mentality. It's the mentality of getting wanting to wanting to have big dreams and and getting those dreams accomplished and working hard and hustling. And I think that there's a, there's a lot of similarities between this two, between the two cities. So I'm very fortunate that I got to spend time in both of those cities, actually. So t- tell us what brought you to the United States. What brought you here at, at age 11? Yeah, so my dad actually uh, was transferred over. He used to work in the diamond industry. Um, he was with a company in America, and he, he had been in and out of America for 14 years. So a lot of my childhood, he was six months. He would spend six months in the States while we were in India. And it got to a point where, you know, my dad was missing a lot of our childhood and he missed my mom. So we eventually decided that either we were going to stay in India or he was going to or uh, my my dad's boss was going to move all of us into America, which honestly, I've I've now that I think back on it, it's it was probably the best thing that could have that could have happened to us and um, that could have happened to me and my family, truly. Um, my dad worked extremely hard in, in for, for those 14 years when he was by himself and living in America without his, without his family. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're just extremely fortunate to be able to come to this country directly with a green card. And that's that's un, that's unheard of. Like that is that that is an extremely gruesome process that as an 11 year old, I fully couldn't wrap my head around. But as I got older, I truly came to appreciate like the power of the green card and having the ability to to be considered a citizen, um, to be considered a citizen in, in America. When you think back to that time, you know, I think 11 is, is a pivotal time for, for young girls. Yeah. What was the most difficult for you in kind of assimilating and, and trying to, um, you know, feel as though you belonged, especially in school? What was the hardest part? Um, I don't think I ever got that sense of belonging. So to be to be very honest, I, I think the hardest part was realizing that I wasn't I wasn't home anymore. Um, it, it 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 makes me a little bit emotional because you know, like growing up when you've lived your entire life and spent your identity as an eleven year old in this one neighborhood, and India is a very communal, community driven place. I'm, I'm not sure if you've been to India, but it's... I haven't, no. We should definitely go. I'm, I'm hoping to go back in December. And I, I honestly love going back because it reminds me constantly about the, the, the type of community that I, that I grew up around, right? Like my mom, my mom used to have a saying that in India, it's very easy to raise kids because your, your kids grow up on the streets and your neighbors raise your kids. So uh, th- that that entire idea like was completely shattered when I came to when I when I moved to Queens just because I mean there there were a lot of Indian people around in in the in the neighborhood that I grew up in, but it w- it was still very different. I think probably the hardest part was was the little was actually not the bigger things, but really like the little cultural differences. I remember my first day in middle school in um, in. Uh, in Queens, uh, in India, when a teacher calls on you as a sign of respect, you have to stand up and talk. You're not allowed to be seated. So I, I had these, because I had only gone to school in India, I remember my first day, anytime a teacher called on me, I think naturally and innately, I got up and I was like, yes, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and, laughing. and you know, it's like, I think it's really about like the little cultural differences that I couldn't wrap my head around and I couldn't understand why um, why it was done differently and because I had never experienced anything like that. And you can't really read about it or prepare yourself mentally. Right. Um, so it was just feeling the, fe- the 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 not knowing what we were getting ourselves into. And probably the hardest part was, I think, our first month in America, I, I still don't really I can't believe that that's how we spent our first month so the apartment that my dad had sort of booked for us it was a one-bedroom apartment in Queens Um, it wasn't ready so we had spent our first month in America 
my brother, my sister, myself, my mom, and my dad, five of us, we slept in someone's living room floor for a month. Wow. Wow. When we moved. And they were, they were Indian, very kind, very, very, uh, very welcoming people. But now that I think about it, I'm like, they had never met us before. They had never, my, they had met my dad in passing, but the fact that because we were a family and because we were Indian and, and had the same cultural background, they opened their doors up to five strangers sleeping on their living room floor for a month. Wow. Wow. So, so I think it was things like that, 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 you know, that we could have never prepared ourselves for. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I'm very grateful for, for those, for those moments and for those experiences, because I think it really prepared me to face anything. I think it just prepared me in the future to face, to face adversity and like be able to problem solve and not really get deterred by, by any, any problems. You know, what's so interesting, Prachi, when you spoke to me, we, we spoke a while ago and you talked about this desire to break barriers and kind of go down a non-traditional path from what perhaps your family um, was expecting of you. And it's so interesting that we can be so tied to our culture and who we are and where we came from, but our dreams and aspirations can be so different from that. So tell me, when, when do you recall um, thinking, I, I don't know that I'm going to take a non or a traditional, I should say, a traditional path when it comes to my professional career and your desire to really explore different areas? I think, to be honest, a lot of the credit really goes to my, my siblings. And I would say it really goes to my sister and my brother because I guess I'm trying to pinpoint, I'm trying to think about a specific moment, but I don't think it was a specific moment. I think it was instilled from the very beginning that coming to America was a gift where dad working hard and, and creating this opportunity for us was a gift. And you cannot take this for granted. I think there was no conversation around it. I think it just, was so strongly present in in our family's dynamic where you know my brother's my brother's an engineer for Delta Airlines my sister is a doctor we're, we're we've always talked about you know like can you can you we would have never had that life if we were in India but i think it's the the beauty of it was my our, our dad or our mom and dad never really sat us down and set those expectations it was kind of like the magical it's an unsaid type feeling, but a lot of the credit around the wanting to take an untraditional path, I think, truly comes from conversations with my sister. And um, she has been a huge sort of role model. Um, she's four years older than I am, and she was always the person that 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 made things possible for me. Where growing up, you know, she was she was. She, she was bullied when she was in high school and I started middle school here, but she went straight into high school and um, it was, it was kind of like a zone high school. So it wasn't the best type of um, type of environment for, for, for her to be in just because, you know, like she was a very studious person when she was in India and that transition for her was also very difficult, but she poured in a lot of energy into really taking advantage of all the resources that America had to offer when it came to scholarship, when it came to grants, when it came to learning, like the, the, she would spend hours in the summer in the library. And I think it, it really was just our conversations, conversations with my sister and I over the years that, that, that evolved into Prachi, you're not meant to be someone's wife. Prachi, you're not going to be, you're not going to spend your life behind a desk. You're really meant to do something special and you're a special individual. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do to, to, to foster it, to foster this feeling? Um, at the age of 16, my sister was the one that initiated the conversation with my dad where, hey, Prachi and I are going to spend the summer in Uganda. So the first country that I went to outside of India and America was was Uganda, and it and it really 
it's it was very it was a very interesting time because as a teenager i think like there's so many distractions nowadays where you know you want to focus on how you look you want to focus on clothes you want to focus on the newest technology i remember everyone had a sidekick everyone had the motorola phone back <laughs> back when i was in high school and um, everyone you know wanted to get the newest thing at forever 21 and and that really changed for me when once i spent that summer in uganda um it it really opened my eyes to a lot of the realities of the world and the adversity that that people face in in um in emerging and developing countries so that was i would say like probably that summer and spending time with my sister truly in in uganda must i think that was probably my my core personality summer i would say so that that definitely has had a huge impact in me wanting to do things the untraditional um unconventional way hmm. yeah. uh, listen we have to go into our first break when we come back i want to start talking more about your company okay. and and where things stand today okay. stay with us and i'll be back with prachi modi now the women to watch finance watch finance watch At Penn Community Bank, we're committed to giving small business owners the tools and resources to help them succeed financially. As women, we're no stranger to managing it all. A household, children, relationships, the list goes on and on. Owning a business and managing it, among the responsibilities of personal life, it can get stressful. Whether your business is brand new or well-established, finances and money management may be one of the most overwhelming facets of running a business. To run a successful business, financial management is a responsibility that cannot be neglected. If you hire a finance expert to handle the money side of your business, it is just as important for you to understand these components of your business. We're here to tell you a few skills and responsibilities that you can take action on to master your business's financial health. It may seem like a lot, but we promise you these actions are steps towards eliminating stress. Get in the habit of regularly reading and understanding your key financial statements. This includes bank statements, invoices, income, payroll, and more. This will help you understand your business's performance and where to make adjustments if necessary. Even if you have an accountant, it's important to maintain your own bookkeeping. This is essentially an ongoing record of your business transactions. There's a number of online platforms that can be helpful in navigating this tedious but important task, so don't feel overwhelmed by having to do it all solo. Come tax season, you'll be thankful that you did. Just like your personal finances, your business needs a budget. Keep track of your cash flow, profits, and any debts to set your business up for success. Knowing how much money to spend, where to spend it, and when to spend it will improve the longevity and success of your business. As your business thrives, you may be looking to expand or finance on a big project. In order to do so, you need strong business credit. Demonstrate that your business is a good risk for lenders by paying debts on time, utilizing your business credit card, monitoring your business credit score, and keeping your business and your personal finances separate. Each of these actions will give you a snapshot of your business's financial health, allowing you to strategize, set goals, and identify opportunities. Improve your financial literacy, and you and your business will reap the benefits. Penn Community Bank, here we are, and here we grow. Women to Watch. Sports Watch. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Jen Welker, and you are listening to Sports Watch. Moms and dads. It is important to realize that it's not the same for a girl to dream some of these things as it is for a boy because, first of all, a lot of the times those girls don't see those dreams um, reflected in the world through the lens the same way that boys do, right? We tell a girl she can do anything or be anything, but then the world shows her something very different, particularly in the world of sports. Um, you know, it's a, a known barrier that 4% of traditional media coverage goes to uh, women's sports versus men's sports. So let's say, you know, you tell your daughter she has the same opportunities in sports as the boys do, but then she can't see herself or someone who looks like her or someone playing her sport on TV as easily as she might see it for a boy. She looks at the storylines in movies, doesn't see herself reflected in the same kind of big blockbusters as the boys. She plays video games and doesn't see herself as a playable character. And so it's not going to happen the same way in terms of 
just normal soci- socialization where she gets to just fall into those examples of women who are doing what it is that she wants to do. Follow me and all my adventures, or you could say misadventures, on Welter47 on Instagram or at jwelter47 on Twitter. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Hi, and welcome back to another week Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. And I'm so happy to be speaking with Prachi Modi today. She is the co-founder and CEO of Meraki 3 Ventures. Before we get back into our conversation, why don't you tell the listeners and the viewers exactly what the company is and does? Absolutely. So we are actually a new age Web3 company. I get very excited talking about this because I finally feel like after a long time of being in corporate America and just being you know, graduated from university, truly Web3, and by Web3, I just mean where it's about crypto, NFTs, DAOs, all of the all of the big sexy words right now that, that a lot of people keep hearing in the news. So our company is called Meraki 3 Ventures. We have three verticals in this space. One of the verticals is a consultation leg where we take Web2 companies that are in this space. So any media company, any type of fashion company or any like D2C brand that is interested in becoming Web3 or that is interesting in launching their own NFT collection, we help them bridge the bridge the knowledge gap that exists in this space and we help them onboard onto Web3. So that's one of the, yeah, so that's one of the verticals. Our second vertical is uh, more around the state, around the lines of early stage investing in this space. And then our third vertical is where I go and work on my own project, passion projects and wanting to launch my own own NFT collections. So when you re- reference Web3, I, I've read about it and we've talked about it. It's still a little, um, you know, complicated for, for me. Can you say what that is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the easiest description or the easiest way that I can really describe it is when we look at the history of the Internet. When we look at when the web was created, historically in the past, we were only really able to consume information by reading. So what the initial web was, was only to consume information and it was only through reading. That was web. And then when web two happened, web two was around the the natural evolution from web to web two, where not only can we read things on the internet, but we can also write things on the internet. So the introduction of blogs, introduction of Twitter, Facebook, where where individuals can actually contribute to to the worldwide web. Um, and then Web3 now, where the phase that we're in, not, not talking about Jack Dorsey, he's in Web5. <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> There's always someone way far further down the road. I don't know. I, Jack, Jack Dorsey is a, is, a, is a different individual. But in Web3, so the natural transition, the natural evolution from Web2 is now not only can we read and write, but we can also own things on the Internet. So really, like, I think Web3 is just digital ownership. And in, in, in to, to just describe it in the most simplest terms, I would say it would be digital ownership. And is that when we see the terms um, cryptocurrency and blockchain and NFTs? Is that, um, is that what you're referencing? Yes, I would say I think more around digital assets that and these digital assets can come in the form of cryptocurrencies, NFTs or DAOs, any type of smart contract um, that or if you've heard or if you've heard the word smart contract, it, it comes through the technology of, of blockchain. I know I know there's a lot of confusion around cryptocurrency. And the only yes. thing that I would really like to the easiest way to understand is when when a company goes does an IPO. Right. It's, it's an actual corporation that does its IPO. What cryptocurrencies are, I think the term is a little misleading where it's not every crypto company is a currency. Um, and and there is also a difference between what a crypto 
cryptocurrency coin is versus what a cryptocurrency token is. Yes. So there's a lot of misunderstandings and discrepancies around the around the basic definition of cryptocurrencies. But the easiest way to think about what cryptocurrencies are, instead of go instead of a traditional corporation doing an IPO, what cryptocurrencies are is a company that's in the crypto web three space that does an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. So mm. that's what a cryptocurrency should, that's really what it should be classified as is something that's, that's similar to an IPO. And is it inevitable that anyone who is online on, you know, the internet now will be engaging in web three and then four and then five? I, I definitely think that mass adaptability, it's on its way. I do think that that America, to be honest, it's, it, is a bit behind in terms of adoption adoption to this to this technology i think what we would just from i from what i have seen um with my background and and having experience living in india and having roots in um in uganda i think emerging markets have been early adopters of this technology because a, a lot of people are, are trying to find alternative solutions in terms of investment you have one unheard message Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And in a lot of emerging markets, when they don't have faith and when they don't really have faith in their government or their bank system, the alternative solution is crypto. So what I've seen is a lot of the crypto is a, is a worldwide market. And I think there there's a lot more pioneers and a lot more thought leaders that are coming out from um, from Asia and coming out from East Africa than than more in North America. I do think it's inevitable. I just think that. The only way it would be portrayed in the media as something that's a viable investment is once the U.S. government figures out uh, figures out how to tax it. I think that that adaptability and that sort of mass adoption will come after we we've figured out how the taxing how the tax situation would work. And would you say that your dreams and aspirations are to one day be a thought leader in this arena? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think this this space is. I think that what's happening now we're on the we're on the precipice of of revolutionary change, right? I had I had asked my dad back in the day. I remember I'm like, Dad, like, why didn't you invest in Microsoft? Like, what were you doing? Like, why didn't you like, you know, like didn't didn't you see that this a revolution was happening? And he was like, Well, I was busy taking care of you guys. I didn't have time. right. No, I'm like, that's actually a really good answer. But yes. I think, but I just think like us as individuals right now that that are re, that have the resources and the capabilities to truly like look from the outside in into what's really happening. Like, forget all of the hype, the hyped up NFT projects that you're that you that are out and and any rug pulls or any of the media stuff that's happening. But if you really just look at the technology, the technology is is brilliant. It, it really, I don't have another word to describe it because it really makes a lot of things possible for operability and the current solutions around. So, so also the reason why I have a lot of faith in the technology is because I have something to compare it to. 
I've I've worked in traditional finance. I used to work for <laughs> Goldman Sachs in the past. Right. And now that I'm in crypto, I can really I can really like look at both industries and really now now honestly say that um, finance, the traditional corporate finance is not for the middle class. It's made for the wealthy. It's made for the wealthy and it's made by the wealthy. I think educating the middle class on how to manage their finances, where your best option to earn that APY or to earn interest shouldn't be the savings account. It should be an alternative solution that crypto now actually enables where a human being being can now have autonomy over their finances and over their their immediate fiat currency and cash flow and decide how they want to use their capital, whether they want to stake it to earn an APY, whether they want to put it in a, in a liquidity pool. I think crypto really enables, enables unlocks some type of power and it gives a puts a lot of the power back into 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 the individual's hand. But of course, I feel I, I think the sort of scary part about all of this is it's a new language. It's a, the industry yeah. is still in its infancy stage. The rules haven't been written yet, but I, I truly think that that's when we can go in and really add value. Um, Bill Gates wouldn't be Bill Gates. Sir Warren Buffett wouldn't be Mr. Warren Buffett if they sat back and and followed, you know, followed the lead. If they weren't contrary, if they weren't the contrarians, I'm not sure if I. If they weren't the the contrarians in the space that looked. You're at right. Them. Yes, yeah. they followed the formula, the current formula, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I 100% would, would uh, I, I feel that I'm on the path of being a thought leader in this space just because I've been in this space for about a year and I've truly become obsessive with uh, with what I do and have have gotten into multiple conversations with speculators, with pro-crypto, with anti-crypto people, with a lot of people that love NFTs, people that hate NFTs and yeah. the, the other technology words I don't even want to get into because we're we're just not there yet, but uh, but I'm yeah. hoping that having a company like Meraki Ventures, where we can work with web web two clients and really like companies that are that have some type of interest or, or show some type of initiative in in wanting to be web three or just wanting to learn, we're really hoping to to be the company that they can go to for for education for consulting services and really like try to try to help them bridge the bridge the gap from web two to web three. Have you um, faced, first of all, I'm curious to know how many women are in this space. And, you know, you're a young woman starting out. And I wonder, is, do you go into meetings, you know, with potential clients and face any skepticism simply because you're a young woman at the beginning of this? Honestly, that's a, so that's a, that's a great question. And I have stopped making myself anxious about it. I do think that coming from from coming from corporate finance, it did prepare me a little, I would say, where I was the only woman on my team. Uh, there was another woman, but then she got moved out. And then I was the only woman on my team for, for a while. And I think being in corporate finance, I think it, it sort of prepared me for being in crypto. I would still say it is, it is a bros club. And, um, you know, when you do feel, I do feel the pressure of looking a certain way and not looking too dolled up or not looking too unprofessional. I think, I think it's very interesting in terms of, um, of how you dress, especially in like the crypto space. Uh, a lot of the bros, a lot of the tech bros are, are so chill <laughs> for the lack of a better word they're they're in their they're in their workout clothes but i i do think that that women in this space get treated differently depending on how they dress but i think once you break that initial barrier of of the judgment right like the judgment that a person makes mm -hmm. about, about me within the first four seconds just out of the way that i look there's I get finsplained a lot. Like, like finsplained is basically when a man tries to explain finance to me. <laughs> I love using that word. I saw it on the subway for, for one of the ads. And I was like, this is, this is amazing because really like, you know, you just sit there and you just nod your head and then 
I would talk about something and they'll be like, oh, I don't you know something about this. You actually. okay, okay, okay. But but what what, one thing that I will say that I do love, love about being in Web3 and being in crypto is Yes, there. Yes, there is a lack of representation. Um, it, it's it's definitely skewed where there's still not a lot of women that are involved in this space. But there, there's a lot of initiative that that are happening with projects like Women to Women, Women and Weapons. Like um, uh, mm-hmm. there's ton there's tons of female led NFT projects, and there's a they're there. Right. Yeah. We're we're here. I just think that it's. It's scary to walk into a room and get intimidated because you're the one of few or like you're not the you're not the majority. I would say I think that it's still it's still very much a bros club. But what I do love about this is I have never felt that this space wasn't for me. I never felt left out. Good. Good. Yeah. So I've never felt felt that way, which is very, very rare because some because in a lot of corporate world or in a lot of the consulting finance investment banking, I think initially around there, I felt left out. Mm. You're like, I don't want to feel left out. Right. Like a lot of uh, a lot of these people, even though we started at the same time, we might be on the same playing field in terms of knowledge they're getting they they have an un they they have a favored bias for them just because yeah. they're male in the space. You know, you can see and feel your excitement, your enthusiasm, and how much you care about this field. So I I have such respect for that, and um, I have no doubt you're going to be successful. And we didn't even get to talk about all the other jobs you had. No. You mentioned being a chef on a boat. Um, but listen, we we have to um, go into the break. And I thank you so much for taking the time to share a little bit about your story, Prachi. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you so and, much. and real quick, where can the viewers find you? Uh, either on LinkedIn, my LinkedIn is Prachi Modi, or they can email me at Prachi at Meraki3Ventures.com. Okay, terrific. Thank you so much. We're going to go into a break now. When we come back, we'll be with Sherry Marson, our Lifestyle Watch contributor. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. How to get buy-in and launch your creative ideas. Hi there. My name is Diana Barnes, or DB, as most people call me, and I'm the Chief Brand Officer and Creative Director at Munchkin, the world's most loved baby lifestyle brand. Today, I want to talk to you about how to get your leadership team to buy into your creative ideas. Brand building is essential to creating a business that stands the test of time. It's also one of the hardest aspects of business to measure and quantify. So how do you convince your leadership team to greenlight a project or a campaign that doesn't directly drive sales? Here are my three tips. First, think like your CEO. Imagine you're the CEO of your company. Ask yourself how your project supports the business. Your answer does not need to be tied to sales to be important. Does your request help position the company as a leader in its industry? Maybe it improves customer experience or boosts brand loyalty. Each of these contributes to the success of a business. Number two, timing is everything. Does your project require $50,000 that isn't in your budget? Part of creating a successful pitch is developing a successful plan, and that includes budgeting. If your idea is costly, find out when your company begins budget planning and arrange to make your pitch during the beginning of the process. And last, be flexible. My experience dealing with nuns and rock stars well prepared me for working with CEOs. My best advice is to know your facts, especially the math. Have the answers and expect the unexpected. Think about what in your plan can change to meet the requests of your leadership team without sacrificing your goal. Be flexible and be willing to work with your boss to give them skin in the game and a stake in your idea. I use these three tactics to get buy-in for my colleagues on Munchkin's executive team and our board of directors to launch Stroller Coaster, a parenting podcast. We've become trailblazers within our category, and the show is ranked among the top 2% of shows within Apple Podcast Kids and Parenting category in our debut season. You can listen to it at strollercoaster.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. See you next time. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Hi, and welcome back to the show. You're watching Women to Watch, and I'm Sue Rocco. And it's always so fun at the end of the show to have our Lifestyle Watch contributor, Sherry Marson, joining us to profile a woman in business. So I'm going to let you take it over, Sherry, and introduce us to Natanya DeBona the co-hosts of Dinner en Blanc. I wanted to say it with the French accent, but I didn't do a good job. (laughs) Yes, today we are being joined by Natanya DeBona, the co-host of the Dinner en Blanc. I think you have to excuse both Sue and I and our Philadelphia French accent. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Not very sophisticated. Yeah, it exists here today. And also, in addition to the co-host of the Dinner en Blanc in Philadelphia, the new the Dinner on Blanc in Atlantic City. Hi, Natanya. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Uh, you. Thank you. You are exceptionally kind to be here today. Um, just coming off of your first The Dinner on Blanc in Atlantic City. It was exciting and exhausting, I'm sure. You had a lot of adrenaline that kept you going. How are you yes. feeling? Um, I'm able to put together relatively decent full sentences right now, which is an improvement from the last couple of days. So just, just recovering. (laughs) Funny. I'm sure when it's all over and after the adrenaline is gone, you have a moment to think about, oh my gosh, my feet, my back, the lack of sleep. (laughs) Finally all sets in and you're just going to turn around and it happens again. The Philadelphia event is taking place on August 18th, right? Yes, it is. And registration opens next week. So certainly the Atlantic City event um, got a lot of people thinking about Philadelphia. So the emails have been flooding in. So, um, yes, no no stopping over here. (laughs) That's exciting. So let's start off with the origins of the Dinner en Blanc in France, how, how it all started and tell us a little bit of the history. Yeah, so it started in Paris almost 35 years ago by a gentleman who had left the country and was now returning and wanted to gather friends together. And since public space is so utilized in Paris, he told everyone to wear white so they could recognize one another. Um, So the concept was each person invited invited a friend. And so it's grown since then, and it's friends of friends of friends. In Paris, they don't do any permitting. They just pick a location and tell people to show up. Um, it came to Montreal, um, his, uh, son brought it to Montreal. And then the first, um, event was in 2011 in New York. And there was so much of a response from a New York times article that they did, that they created an international organization for all of the cities who wanted to do, um, the events there. So that's how Philadelphia, um, got on board in 2012. Wow. So as an event planner, this sounds like a dreamy gig, Um, but you know, (laughs) event planners are a little, we're a little bit of gluttons for punishment. Um, Yes. (laughs) We always have these really grandiose ideas and then we start working on them. It's like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? (laughs) Yeah. Seeing it all unfold makes it all worth it. Um, But yes, it's a lot of work. It's volunteer run. Um, So it's a lot of passionate people who are just committed to this concept and they make it happen without our volunteers it it couldn't work wow so it all volunteers so you have a partner in this yes my co-host kaylee moran um we were just randomly put together um through international and our first meeting i just knew we had the same love of the concept and the same aesthetic and love of philadelphia um so it's been a a great a great partnership um for 10 years now wow that's that's Fantastic. It's hard to think of meeting somebody like that just off of the cuff and hitting it off and working this much together. It's amazing. So you said all volunteers. How many volunteers do you have? So it depends on the year and the number of attendees. Our first year, we had 1,350 attendees. Then we've grown to up to 6,000 on Boathouse Row in 2019. So it's about that one maybe had 150 or so volunteers. Wow. That's a a lot of people to just say, hey, do you want to come out and work your tail off for a night? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's fun. I mean, it's it's like you're part of the party. You're part of the heart of what makes it all beat. So it's all worthwhile. 
Um, yeah, the, so, first year, the first year in 2012, there was an article written and people started writing to us to volunteer before we had even asked for volunteers. So we really got a lot of people who were passionate and involved in Philadelphia from the beginning. So it was it was we were lucky. <laughs> well, that's what makes Philadelphia so great. I don't care what anybody says about the city. It is the city of brotherly and sisterly love by, mm-hmm. by a when I when I travel around the United States and I talk about home and Philadelphia and my relationships here, it's so much different than most other cities. It's really an incredible yeah. place. So yeah. and I had moved away. At one point, I lived in Boston for nine years and New York for a little bit. And when I came back, I was just so blown away by what had happened in Philadelphia and, you know, everything, the energy. And so it's a great city. Yeah, it really is. So 6,000 people, that's the largest in the U.S.? It is, yes. Last year, due to COVID, we reduced by 50%. But yes, in um, 2019, when we were 6,000 people, um, we were the largest event um, in the United States. We had been for the the couple years before. A few cities are behind us. D.C. started a year behind us. So people are catching up, but we have the money for now. (laughs) So you expect about 6,000 this year as well? Um, we're probably going a little under that just, um, you know, for we, we always plan to the space. Um, so we'll see. Remains to be seen. <laughs> and, and how many people did you end up for your first event in Atlantic City? We had 2,600, which was incredible for a first year event, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, like I said, our first year in Philadelphia was 1,300. But we felt confident that the, with the event in Philadelphia, just an hour away for 10 years, um, that there was an awareness about it. And then a lot of our attendees and volunteers from Philadelphia did that event, too. So that really helped us get to that number. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I get it. So there's a fee for people that they pay to enjoy the festivities. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's expected of the guests and what they get when they get there, what they bring along. and what makes it worth that whole, what makes the experience worth what they do? Sure, so everyone brings their tables and chairs, their plates, glassware, wine, food, um, and they set up um, in this secret space that they were not aware of. Um, They're led there by their table leader from a departure point that they do know that they're going to. Um, So because everyone does their part, there is this space is able to uh, transform very quickly. And also there's an investment on the part of the people. We just had a woman in Atlantic City who brought a whole ice sculpture because it was her 67th birthday and she had a smoke machine and she did want win one of the table decorating contests. She earned that. Um, so everyone has puts their spin on it and has personality. So that really helps as well. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry we're out of time. Um, tickets go on sale on July 6th. Be sure to make sure you uh, sign up for them as soon as possible because they do sell out. The event is August 18th. Natanya, um, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Get some good sleep this week because uh, August 18th is just around the corner. And, oh, and one other little mention, uh, Victoria Wright, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, for anybody who watches our show on a regular basis, was at your Macy's um, event um, and yes. created a couple of outfits. So that was very cool. Yes, she's featured in the window just for a few more days. So go look at Macy's oh, on Juniper Street. Go check it out. So please join me next week when I uh, meet with Jennifer Carlson, the executive director of the Colonial Theater in Phoenixville. Um, She's preparing for the Blob Fest. If you're not familiar with the Blob, the movie, it was a thriller back in 1958, filmed in Phoenixville in the movie theater. It goes on all weekend. They show the movie and do the reenactment of the last scene, which is everybody running out of the theater because the blob's coming out. So don't miss the interview. (laughs) I can't wait for that. (laughs) I know. Keep you living your dreams, ladies. Thank you, Sue. Back to you. Thanks, Sherry. And thanks so much, Natanya. Good luck with with the event. Thank you. We're going to go into a break and we'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Tomorrow, our nation celebrates its 246th birthday. As we recognize the 4th of July, I can't help but think about the generations of service members who have stepped forward to defend and protect our country 
since it began as an independent nation in 1776. While Independence Day has become known for enjoying barbecues with family and friends, it is also about so much more. It serves as a reminder that the liberty we enjoy as Americans is not easy to achieve nor certain to maintain. Philadelphia is the birthplace of many of our country's traditions, and nothing symbolizes our country's spirits, struggles, and strengths more than the American flag. In 1777, the Continental Congress established an official flag for our new nation in this great city. The resolution stated, resolved that the flag of the United States be made of 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the Union be 13 stars, white in the blue field, representing a new constellation. As our country grew and changed, so did our flag, but its foundation remained the same. Red symbolizes hardiness and valor, purity and innocence within the white, and blue signifies vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Caring for our nation's greatest symbol has taken Comcast by storm. Started by military veteran employees in the Philadelphia area, our flag replacement program is now in every state where Comcast operates. Whether you're a customer or not, our field technicians will replace worn or tattered flags at people's homes at no cost. We're proud to help our communities restore old glory, and we share in the connections made through celebrating our nation's traditions. I wish you all a very happy and safe 4th of July. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thanks so much for tuning in. And next week, mark your calendars. I'll be speaking with Banafsha Aglagi. I wanted to make sure to read that, pronounce it correctly. She's an attorney and partner in her own firm. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.